Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me as always is Duncan Castles, and we'll be bringing you the most up-to-date market reports, uh, even though, of course, as we all know, the market is a little bit slower this summer than it has been in recent years. Uh, we'll also bring you the um, infamous Donkey Award later in the pod, but we're going to start off, Duncan, with some news about Manchester United, and there what seems to be quite a long and... Um, displaced search for a left back. It seems like one month they believe they need someone, the next they don't. Um, obviously they've got options in Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams, but that they don't seem to have convinced Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's now looking to uh, AS Monaco. Is that correct? Yes, there's a, it's a position that Manchester United have targeted to improve for, for obvious reasons. Luke Shaw um, has underwhelmed in it um, season after season and uh, Brandon Williams has, has emerged as, as a solid young talent. He's got a lot of playing time this season but um, I think if, if you ask yourself are either of those players um, reliable first choices for a team that's targeting getting back to the very top of English and European football then your answer will be no they're not at this stage um, and I don't think Luke Shaw will ever be that player um, so they've, they've been looking at options elsewhere obviously Manchester United are one of the teams that should be able to benefit from the effect of coronavirus on the transfer market. They are financially more powerful. They should have the ability to take advantage of the clubs who are in financial difficulties. And certainly league on clubs are um, targets here because they have had their um, season finished by the government. They will lose their broadcasting revenue. French clubs are very aware of that. I've, I've spoken to... Um, senior person at one club, he thinks it will take them 10 years to catch up um, with the damage caused by not finishing this season, particularly if competitor top five leagues, such as the Bundesliga, such as the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, manage to complete the season and do not lose out on the broadcast revenues. A player that United are looking at is Fode Balotouré. He's a 23-year-old left-back um, he is exceptionally quick, very powerful player, um, physically, lo- lots of stamina. Described to me as having a, a very good profile for English football um, from a physical perspective. Also, um, I'm told he's an excellent character, so that there's a belief that he would uh, transfer well from the French game to the English game. And uh, uh, not have a, as long an adaptation process as some players do when they when they switch uh, countries. 
there's a bit of question about his um, football intelligence. Is this a common theme? I think with with left backs attacking left backs in in football these days, there's a, because there's such an emphasis on players who can add to the attack. The defensive qualities can sometimes be questionable, and that's the the doubt people have about Balotelli and where they they need, they want to see him develop. And he himself is on record as saying that his concentration is a weak point. Um, but France under 21 international, um, he was picked up from Paris Saint-Germain um, as an 18-year-old signed by Luis Campos, who's the, um, a reputation as being one of the best talent spotters in world football, brought to Lille for um, nothing, essentially nothing, and then sold to Monaco for 13 million in uh, January last year. Um, and... It, it doesn't come as a surprise to me that United are looking at him. It doesn't come as a surprise that they're, they're looking to take advantage of, of a market which is going to be hit by coronavirus. And you have to say, um, it's possibly just coincidental, but Manchester United have a very good track record of buying left-backs, um, French national team left-backs with an African heritage from Monaco. And if they were able to replicate what Patrice Evra did for the team or come even close to what Patrice Patrice ever gave that team for um, years and years and years, they would certainly have a, a major success in Balotelli. Interesting, Duncan. Um, two reasons. One, um, there are very, very few clubs who will be immune to the financial um, implications and consequences of the current global pandemic. We do expect Manchester United to be one of those clubs. However, we also expect the market to be very much deflated with regards to fees, paid in contracts, etc. As we've discussed in the pod at length on, on various occasions. But it seems to me that United might be just getting their house in order in terms of forward planning, looking properly in the right positions and to strengthen. I think uh, we both know from our sources that they also need, uh, they want uh, a centre-back partner for Harry Maguire, as well as an you know, attacking player and possibly a striker as well. But in going to Balotelli, it seems to me that that's a very kind of, you know, clever, quite, you know, as I said, forward-thinking move. Um, you made the reference to Patrice Evra. Um, yes, I, I think um, having seen the uh, the player a uh, play in Liga this season, his defending could certainly be improved. But he's twenty three; he can still be coached. You know, people have been kind of scoffing about uh, where did uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get his reputation as some kind of transfer wizard? Well, if this is the kind of move that he's looking at making, then it certainly won't harm his reputation should uh, this happen and Balotelli is a success. I don't think anyone's going to be immune to the effects of coronavirus in the transfer market, but I think clubs like Manchester United, who are um, intrinsically financially powerful and have cash reserves, are the clubs that can take advantage of the of those leagues and uh, those competitor clubs who get hit very hard and hit liquidity problems. There's no doubt that prices are going to come down. There's no doubt salaries are going to come down. And it's probably in this area of the market where you can really um, benefit 
and in, in that you can take those um, younger talents who um, maybe the fees in normal circumstances if, if Manchester United come in for Balotelli and in a normal market you could see Monaco saying we want 40 million plus for him um, that's not going to happen as it stands and and yes they're you know they do have a strategy now and they are um, targeting areas of the team which obviously need to be improved um, and they're in a position where artificially where they can take um, extra advantage and it'll be easier for them to buy and the, and the strategy that they're going down of, of looking for younger players um, I think is particularly benefited in these circumstances and they have a chance now of getting into the Champions League um, if the Premier League decides to end the season um, and we are moving towards that or certainly closer to that than we've been at any stage previously then all the, the differential uh, calculation methods that are being used to uh, work out who should uh, finish fifth in the table put Manchester United in there albeit by the, the tiniest of mar margins it's like 0 0.01 point per game that puts them ahead of Sheffield United in one of the calculations they would still need Manchester City's ban to be upheld uh, by Cass but um, if you get that double combination of Manchester City getting kicked out of the Champions League <laughs> and United getting in through the back door and a, a transfer market where they can uh, they can take advantage of others' weaknesses, um, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could be falling on his feet um, through uh, you know an unfortunate combination of circumstances, um, which place him in a, a stronger position than he probably would have been in normal circumstances. Intriguing as well, Duncan, that um, the targets that we know Manchester United um, have identified. Jaden Sancho, Borussia Dortmund, just turned 20. Balotelli, as you've mentioned, various centre-halves um, as well, but all under 25, Jude Bellingham. These are guys who, if United missed out on Champions League qualification for next season... They're not going to be too worried about their careers and playing Champions League football during a time that they spend at Manchester United, which is something obviously um, even the great Kevin De Bruyne has um, questioned with regards to his future at Manchester City because he's that bit older, he's determined uh, and ambitious to win the Champions League and he thinks a two-year ban would put his opportunities, well, it's, there's no doubt about it, it's just a fact if he stayed at Manchester City during that period where they were banned uh, for two seasons in the uh, Europe's Blue Ribbon competition, then, yeah, of course, um, his chances of winning it would be diminished because he would lose two years of his career. Um, United, however, in targeting younger players, are maybe just being a bit more realistic about what the future holds. And it's an interesting departure from uh, the transfer policy of only two to three years ago, where there were signings Latan Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba. It was all about the superstar player uh, coming to Old Trafford and uh, looking to you know, make that difference and sprinkle the stardust, if you like, with regards to what the team uh, needed and what the club needed in order to succeed. 
Well, a player like Bellingham, yes, I don't think it matters whether they have Champions League football to offer him immediately. What he has been and he and his father have been concerned with is a pathway um, for his development. That's been the priority for them in making a decision. And, and the latest I'm hearing on that is that there, he's leaning more towards Manchester United than he had been at any previous stage. I'm not hearing a decision has, has been made, but um, that uh, United's efforts um, to convince him and bringing him to the training ground and uh, introducing him to senior figures at the club have helped their case. With Sancho, I think Champions League football is important. I think he uh, he's now placed himself on a level with his performances over two years at Dortmund, where he can afford to be fussy and, uh, and you know demand not only high salary um, but priority in, in the team and to be playing in the right place. Um, yes, there is a you know there is a strategy there. There's a stated strategy there from Manchester United and and an emphasis on young players. The question mark you obviously have to have is how long does it take you to get to the top if you're only buying young players? We know that Solskjaer prefers malleable characters um, who will uh, do as they are told and not contest his uh, his methods. And there's, you know, there's been a significant degree of resistance to his methods, particularly from senior players. So it helps him to bring younger guys in. But, you know, it's not too hard to step back and look. I mean, it's a long time since we've, we've, been, we've watched football. But if you step back and look at what Manchester United delivered this season, they are a long, long way off challenging for the Premier League title, um, challenging at the top level of European football, if they get into the Champions League, it is very much through the back door as a result of Manchester City's transgressions um, and 0.01 of a point per game ahead of Sheffield United, the team that's just come up from the Championship. So there, you would think there's more surgery required than just adding um, two or three younger players who still have a lot of uh, development required of them that the team needs leadership and it, it needs uh, more quality um, and it, what was a success or what has been a success is the Bruno Fernandes deal where they, they bought a proven experienced mature player who came into the side and uh, I think had a look around him and, and so well I, I've been the best player in the team I left and the best player in the league I left and I come into a dressing room and it looks like I'm the best player here uh, and has stepped up and improved the team as as a result of that confidence in, in his own abilities and um, the development required there was only one of adaptation to another league. Um, so only focusing on young, young players, um, it, it looks nice, it can work financially but is it enough to turn the team into challengers for the league title I'm not so sure about that I agree with it Duncan I think there's a lot of work to be done um, but as I said uh, it looks like uh, United are getting a strategy which is consistent uh, and contingent with their ambitions but also with as you said Solskjaer's vision um, of how the team should operate so it will be interesting to see how they operate once the market opens. 
Now, here on the transfer window, we have broke news and kept you absolutely bang up to date with the goings-on at Newcastle United regarding the takeover, which includes PCP Partners, Amand Stavely, and, of course, Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund. Uh, still hasn't gone through, Duncan, and there has been many, many uh, questions with regards to morality, legality, etc., um, posed both uh, to politicians, to the Premier League, and in the media over the past two weeks. Uh, obviously, um, some people were expecting the takeover to have been um, passed by the Premier League by now and that the new owners would be in place. That's not the case. Uh, we all understand that the uh, difficulties and complications caused by Project Restart and no football being played have been a major uh, obstacle in the way of things progressing at St James's Park and Mike Ashley's sale of the club. What's the latest, Duncan, in terms of what the um, people on uh, that you are speaking to on the takeover side uh, are thinking? Um, do they believe that it will still go ahead or do you think we are in uncharted territory with regards to even more difficulties at this moment in time? I think we're in a, we are in uncharted territory. Um, the, the degree of resistance to this is greater than any takeover in the Premier League before. I mean, just in the, the past um, uh, 48 hours, we have a number of MPs saying that questions should be asked, that the, the, um, the Culture and Sport Committee should investigate uh, this takeover, investigate Saudi Arabia's role in BOUTQ, uh, the satellite channel that has been stealing um, uh, Qatar's being uh, broadcast rights for the Premier League and other major European leagues and, and transmitting them across the, uh, the Middle East region and costing um, hundreds of millions of pounds to uh, the Premier League and to uh, Qatar, who are, of course, direct um, rivals to Saudi Arabia. Um, that is something that the Premier League itself has taken action, uh, very significant action, made statements about in the past before this, this takeover was raised. Um, you've got Conservative MPs saying that um, the, the purchase should be blocked. You've got the Liberal Democrats saying that the purchase should be blocked until this is investigated. Um, we've never seen anything like this before. Certainly, we've gone past the time that uh, the group who are taking over or trying to take over the club had briefed. They expected to have an answer. We're well over a week beyond their initial briefing and, and, uh, and the, on the expectation that it would take three to four weeks for the Premier League to, do, uh, to work through their financial plan and to go through the um, owner and director's test and see if the, the individuals that the consortium were nominating as, as directors and owners of the club were met the Premier League's conditions. There are aspects of that rule which could be used um, to say Saudi Arabia are unacceptable for the, for the Premier League. Um, and there are lots of people who want to see uh, the Premier League say no to it. Um, I'm hearing, as I said in the last podcast, that there's a degree of concern amongst uh, the consortium 
uh, as to the time this is taking. Uh, when I asked about it today, the response I got was, yeah, we, we were told we would not get a decision this week. So it's not unexpected. We're told at the start of the week after the Premier League meeting that we weren't going to get a decision this week. So we're calm about it. Our understanding is that this is because of uh, Project Restart and the Premier League want to focus on the much bigger issue for them, which is can they get football restarted again? Um, and the significant resistance there is amongst clubs uh, to the plans that have been put forward um, so far to get that restart made. And they, they want to deal with the Saudi Arabia takeover of Newcastle after they've resolved it. So that's the official, in inverted commas, line coming from the takeover um, parties at present. I, It's understandable to me that the, the Premier League would want to set this to one side. They are dealing with a bigger problem than they've ever had before. Um, we have a new chief executive in the Premier League who um, has landed in a position where he's got to resolve this huge issue. And um, it's looking increasingly unresolvable, um, given the number of players who don't want to play, the number of clubs who are, who are, um, who are saying, uh, we, we don't want to restart on conditions of neutral games. We don't want to restart where our players' safety isn't guaranteed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's um, a holding pattern, I think. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's entirely clear that they, they will get approval at this stage. If it, if it was clear, if it was a simple decision, the decision should have been made by now. Um, the fact that the Premier League are putting it off because they are dealing with other problems uh, underlines that it is inherently controversial for them. Speaking to contacts at Premier League clubs over the last few days, obviously regarding the project restart, et cetera, et cetera, and mentioning the proposed takeover, Duncan, the consensus, I wouldn't go as far as to say majority, but consensus of opinion I got was that the Premier League chief executive stroke owners who took part in Monday's uh, five-hour conference call regarding Project Restart, etc. The Newcastle takeover was on the any other business list um, of that particular agenda on Monday. And they basically adjourned it quite quickly and said, we have a bigger problem facing us, which is obvious. Um, than this right now, and it would take a two-thirds majority vote against PIF's proposed takeover to have it scuppered by the stakeholders themselves. Uh, and that's outside of uh, any government intervention, etc. I'm wondering, um, the longer this goes on, what the likelihood uh, outcome is going to be one thing I would say is, uh, and this was fairly unanimous in terms of, again, the feedback, and that was, well, as we're entering what's probably going to be the most significant recession uh, since at least the financial crisis in 2008, and if not, since the war, but certainly the most significant financial crisis in football since the Premier League era, then the inward investment of a nation state into a Premier League club with very deep pockets 
has the potential to aid football's recovery. And that, very simply put, is they can buy players from other clubs and pay uh, reasonable prices for those players and give them contracts that they want to move to Newcastle for. And therefore, um, maybe the resistance would be less given the current financial circumstances. And as we know, football and moral opportunism uh, go together like, well, you can fill in the uh, end of that sentence. I think look, this is definitely a factor. It's in Newcastle's or in uh, PIF and PCP's and the Rubin brothers' interest that this is happening in a period when the Premier League needs new cash. Um, yes, absolutely. If they come in and they spend, that helps the Premier League out. It injects new money into the transfer market. It can get the system started again. And I, I talked to a couple of agents last week who said the same thing. They were asking, you know, where does it stand with the Saudis? Um, what are their plans? And, and saying it would be a good thing because, or it could be a good thing because that would start the, the transfer market rolling. So, yes, I think that's in their favour at present. I think the for the Premier League, it would be much easier for them if it was taken out of their hands. If the government, if uh, Parliament was to come up with um, serious objections rather than just some, you know, the Liberal Democrats and some Conservative MPs talking about it. If there was a consensus within government that this was a bad thing for the country and the decision was taken out of its hands, that would be great for the Premier League because they wouldn't have to deal with it themselves. As it stands, they, they can quite fairly argue, well, Saudi Arabia is a preferred trading partner of the UK. Um, their human rights record don't, doesn't seem to matter when it comes to selling arms to Saudi Arabia. So um, why should we be the ones who have to take a moral decision over their entry into our league when the government is happy to deal with them in so many other areas? Um, so I, I don't see the government helping the Premier League out here. Um, and as you say, the, the financial argument is in Saudi Arabia, PIF's favour here. Well, from Newcastle United to Chelsea, where their pursuit of Belgian international Dries Mertens has taken um, a rather unusual twist in that uh, the player's representative, we understand, has informed uh, the Stamford Bridge Club that Mertens would prefer uh, to stay in Italy beyond his contract expiring with Napoli in June this year. Uh, and indeed that there is interest in signing him a freedom of contract from both Inter Milan and Roma, amongst others. Of course, we reported on the Transfer Window uh, podcast two weeks ago that um, Mertens was Frank Lampard's preferred replacement for William with the Brazil uh, winger stroke attacking midfielder uh, looking to leave, having not been offered the length of contract extension that he would prefer or expect to stay with Chelsea. And that would be a, a setback for Lampard should Mertens decide to stay in Italy, given that um, he, at this moment in time, there are one, there's one backup 
uh, transfer target that I understand, but one who is much less keen on and also would be much more expensive than obviously the free 33-year-old um, who would come in and do a job uh, right across the attacking midfield um, that Lampard likes to set up in a three. Um, Duncan, this is all becoming a little bit muddled, I think, for Chelsea and Lampard. And we, we've discussed many times, haven't we, the hierarchy of decision-making at Chelsea regarding player recruitment. Um, this was one that I understand Lampard was confident about and remains quite confident about um, because of the low cost, uh, low risk in terms of the player, no fee, the contract wouldn't be particularly expensive. Um, would they, do you think, do they have enough in the squad already um, to lose William and not get Mertens and still come into, let's just say, the following season, whenever that happens, um, with enough creativity in their attacking midfield? Or do you think they would need to recruit in that area? I think the issue Lampard has is the imbalance in his squad. He's got, um, as we know, a lot of, of uh, accomplished young talent. Um, but you've seen this Chelsea team uh, making a lot of naive mistakes during his first season in charge, which is not a surprise given the, the, the dependence on academy players. He rates William very highly because of his professionalism and because of his ability to make the right decisions on the field and, uh, and, and affect uh, matches in the correct fashion. That's why he'd, he'd like to retain William. And you can see Dries Mertens as a almost a like-for-like -like replacement, not just in the way he plays, but more importantly, in, in the way he is as an individual, his experience and, and ability to act as a, as a standard bearer for the younger players. So it, if they can't get Mertens, if Mertens decides he'd he prefer to stay in Italy, you would expect them, in Lampard's view, to, to push for a more experienced player. Obviously, they, they tried to sign Jadon Sancho, or Marina Granovskaya tried to sign Jadon Sancho in January. Um, Lampard was resistant to that because he felt he didn't need another young player of that type in the squad and also didn't want his name attached to what would have been a €100 million Euro plus transfer his first big signing being Sancho with the, the weight of expectation on that player coming into English football. Um, so it's complicated for him. It's also complicated just to see whether William will play out the remainder of the season if Project Restart is successful and and, and uh, we get teams on, on the pitch again because the, the Premier League this week said uh, it gave the teams leave to extend the contracts of all the players who are out of contract at the end of the season until whenever the end of the season will actually be. But they must do that by June 23rd. And they have to get the agreement of the player in question um, for him to extend. There's no, there's not going to be any obligatory extensions. The Premier League hasn't said uh, you can automatically extend the contract of all your players who will be free agents um, uh, in the the middle of this restart period, 
you have to get their agreement. And then we get into the decision-making process that we've explained in the transfer podcast in detail. As, as a player, do you want to put yourself at risk um, by playing games after a long um, period in which you haven't played football, a, a short, abrupt mini preseason, um, which is going to be a preseason where you, um, as as the plans stand at the moment, you have to train with a mask on. There's not going to be contact for for an element of them. That you're not going to have the usual physiotherapy and massages at a time when you need the assistance of medical staff and uh, and the advances of modern sports science most because of this long delay uh, and the the idea that that games will be concertinaed into a, a short period you're not going to have it so so the decision making process for these players can be do i want to risk a serious potentially career ending injury if they were to for example uh, uh do their acl um during one of these restart games uh, and then be out of contract as soon as the the, the restarted season ends, um, and and hand over that leverage which had been gained for players by William by allowing their contracts to run down, because we know that in this this coronavirus affected market, free agents are going to be at a premium, and they um, if they can get through to a period fit when they are able to sign contracts with new clubs. There's going to be a lot of interest in, in bringing them to those clubs, more interest than usual, because no transfer fee will, will be involved. The other factor here as well, Duncan, uh, you mentioned there's a lot of um, young talent at Chelsea in that particular role. Um, obviously, uh, Hakim Ziyech, we've got to add to that list, who agreed his move to Chelsea outside of the transfer window, albeit based on his registration being transferred when the window opens. But Mason Mount, clearly uh, you have, um, I could probably think of four others who play in that position. So you ask yourself a very simple question, one in which I think, you know, we who work in the football industry, um, it's a common thing that we do. When someone's, uh, proposed for a transfer to a certain club, you say to yourself, the first question you ask is, is he going to play? Where does he fit? Because if you can't answer that question, then the chances are that it's agent talk or it's speculation um, because there's no practical reason why a club would sign that player. So in the case of Mertens, 33 years old, uh, certainly got a great pedigree, etc., etc. Why would Lampard want him? Well, I think from my perspective, quite obvious, game management. We've talked about it on the podcast before. This is a Chelsea team who have lost 11 games in the current season. Uh, they are notorious for not being able to see out games that they go ahead in um, or indeed for starting slowly and losing goals early and therefore losing a game. So what Lampard... I believe is looking for is, is football intelligence and he sees Mertens as bringing that in his experience obviously internationally and in his club career um, Ziak will bring that also uh, from his time at Ajax but he's got three 
younger players who he sees as needing to learn from ex- experienced professionals. And Mertens is one of those that he wants to bring in for that reason. This week has brought uh, many opinions to the fore. Uh, obviously, there have been important uh, conversations held between football administrators, the government, uh, as well as the players' union and uh, medical professionals regarding Project Restart and uh, the um, practicality and logistics of bringing football back. Uh, an old, uh, I say old, only because he's 36, friend of uh, the transfer window, uh, Glenn Murray, uh, the Brighton of Albion striker, um, caused quite a stir, Duncan, um, when he gave an interview on Sky Sports News uh, where he said that he doesn't understand why there's a rush to get back to playing when we don't even know what phase two of that actual um, plan is going to be. Phase one is obviously getting back into training. Phase two is about preparing to play competitive matches and expressed his concern for fellow players, but more importantly, in his eyes, for any family members who might be uh, in any way uh, exposed to COVID-19 when uh, there's a risk to their health. Now, uh, in that same um, same uh, interview, Jamie Carragher, the former Liverpool captain, was involved. Didn't ask a question at the time about um, Glenn Murray saying that, uh, and this was about the football aspect, uh, if clubs are relegated from the Premier League, without playing another game, why would championship clubs be allowed to be promoted if they themselves um, had not played another game and that that would be unfair? Um, I think maybe Jamie Carragher is missing the point, Duncan, uh, as well as the fact that uh, Glenn's opinion and his views were strongly backed up by Watford captain Troy Deeney, who's also been involved in these... um, Zoom briefings and conversations uh, between club captains and players who are on the um, uh, committee. Now, is there a split happening here, Duncan, between the guys who don't have to go out and play, like Jimmy Carragher, and the guys who are still involved? Because it seems to me there's a little bit of a kind of old school-ish attitude of, oh, what's your problem, get out and play? compared to the guys who actually are facing up to the prospect of potentially putting members of their own family at risk um, if they're vulnerable to COVID-19 by doing so? Well, there certainly seems to be a number of of, uh, retired players who who are expressing that opinion. Um, Glenn responded to criticism from Joey Barton um, that he was afraid, suggesting he and Troy Deeney were uh, were afraid to play, and they should leave it to the younger players if they they didn't fancy it. And I think um, I think Glenn is is completely entitled to his concerns about the plan that has been proposed, and and he and Troy Deeney are are by no means alone in this. Um, there you know there are a lot of professional footballers across the game who are are very worried about the prospects of returning to football because of the health implications for themselves, the risk of contracting the virus, the risk of passing it on to their family, um, 
players who whose wives are pregnant or have newborn babies. Um, Grant Hanley at Norwich City expressed his con concern um, that he might end up passing COVID on to his, his wife who's pregnant at, at the moment. Um, you have players, as I, as I talked about earlier, who are coming to the end of their, their contracts and are scared of the implications of playing. They see very clearly the dangers of playing football after the, what has been um, a long break of no football at all, the longest break for many of them in their careers, not playing any competitive football, not training properly, going into that abbreviated pre-season, doing it um, in a restricted fashion and being deprived of proper medical um, care, the care they're used to, which has become essential to them to play Premier League football at the intensity levels that are demanded of them. Uh, and as we discussed months ago in this podcast, what you're asking these players to do is come into an end of season situation where a lot of them have relegation um, and hundreds of millions of pounds and huge pressure um, placed upon them by the clubs. A lot of them have the pressure to be promoted placed upon them. Others are fighting for Champions League and Europa League places. Um, and so we're not talking about pre-season games. There's going to be an, an additional intensity to it because of the external demands on the clubs. And the, some of these clubs are, are in a situation where if they are relegated, they face the potential of going out of business. Um, it's not difficult to envisage some of the clubs who, who have stretched themselves getting into the Premier League, were they to go down into a championship which is going to face very severe financial problems, whatever happens, that uh, they might not ever get back again. And, and they could, if they, if they hit big enough liquidity problems, go out of business. So you, you can imagine the additional pressures on these players to perform. And they're going to be asked to do that in a situation where they're more likely to injure themselves more likely potentially to end their careers um, through through picking up a serious injury by playing in in, in sub you know, far from optimal circumstances. So I I understand the reservations. I think also Glenn's point, which was the one that, that picked up the most criticism, that if they have to if the Premier League are going to play out the season and relegation is going to be decided on the basis of playing out the season under whatever um, artificial circumstances the clubs agree to at, at best it's going to be ghost games uh, at best it's going to be behind closed doors football um, at present it seems they've managed to take neutral games off the neutral venue games off the agenda but it's going to be uh, a, a, an unusual and unfair circumstance sporting integrity is going to be in question but if, if the Premier League clubs have to go down on that basis, then he's saying then the championship clubs should go up on the same basis and their season needs to be played out. And, and I think that that is a fair point. The, the idea that the championship finishes now and Leeds United and West Bromwich Albion go up because they are seven and six points clear respectively um, is, I think, an unfair one because we've seen championship seasons in which those, those leads have been overhauled. Um, comprehensively overhauled in the last um, 
nine games. And Leeds United in particular have a history of, uh, of blowing opportunities uh, to get back into the Premier League so that the, there's an additional psychological pressure on them. So it, I think it's right, logically it's right to say if, if the Premier League has to play out the, and we are going to be replaced by championship clubs, those championship clubs have to properly earn their place um, to get back into uh, into the Premier League. And it's interesting that Carragher had that said to him on the TV programme in his interview and didn't prosecute him on the on his answer. He seemed to object to the answer, but wasn't actually prepared to have that discussion with him on air um, and instead uh, used his social media um, channel and, and Twitter to, to uh, uh, you know, question Murray indirectly after the event. Um, I think... There's an interesting aspect to all of this in that we know that the clubs who are in danger of relegation from the Premier League are resistant to playing. And some of their chief executives have talked about it being self-interest and that they, they cannot countenance agreeing to a system which makes it more likely for them to go down, i.e. you set up a, a restart system which uh, removes home advantage, uh, remove some of the elements of sporting integrity and therefore makes it more likely for them to go down than they would have done in previous circumstances. And that is a, a fair argument. Um, you have clubs at the top who want the money. Um, what's more important to them is wanting... The, the relegated clubs are scared of losing money. The clubs, Some of the clubs at the top are scared of losing the broadcast money. So they are focused on money as well. Then you have um, some people associated with Liverpool Football Club, such as Jamie Carragher. One of the biggest factors in their argument is Liverpool, do they get the title or not? And is there an asterisk placed upon that title? That should be the least important of these arguments. The, the, the health issue should be the priority. And players like Glenn Murray and Troy Deeney are worried about the health, their own health and the health of their family and those close to them are completely justified in being so. The money issue is an obvious one, that, and it is the role of the chief executives of the clubs to protect their club's future. So they, they are, are prepared and, and justified in arguing their case to try and preserve their club's position in the Premier League. The argument over whether Liverpool have an asterisk against their title, because the Premier League is not going to be null and voided. Liverpool are going to get this title. It, it's just whether they do it in in a completed season or not. The argument over that is the least relevant of all of them, but seems to be the one that's generating the most noise. Seems that um, we the, the media want to uh, make a big thing out of statements of people like Glenn Murray, reason statements of people like Glenn Murray, because of the suggestion that the league might be null and voided if their wishes are followed through and, and if Brighton, Watford and other clubs resistance to playing the season. Uh, goes through and, and that receives a response from Liverpool fans saying no it cannot be null and voided we have to complete this season it's unfair to, to finish it yeah it is unfair to null and void it's unfair to do anything in these circumstances it's going to end up being unfair but the priority has to be health first of, of the individuals and involved and this includes supporters second the financial integrity of the league 
And then last a long way behind is whether Liverpool have an asterisk to their title win and Gary Neville can uh, make fun of Jamie Carragher on Sky TV by wearing an asterisk badge at the start of next season. Yeah. <laughs> Never has a, a grammatical signification had so much significance uh, in a national crisis. Perhaps um, we should add the asterisk to the government slogan, save lives and uh, remind people exactly what this is all about. Pleased that you have given me a Jamie Carricker segue, not obviously the um, Basri operated uh, vehicle, but just one that takes me into this week's Donkey Award. After the success of last Friday's uh, return of the infamous golden statue, which Duncan has been very, very uh, diligently making himself, um, given the lack of uh, contact we've had with our suppliers in Taiwan, who normally make these um, particular trophies for us, uh, Duncan will once again be moulding his own image into a golden statue for this week's. So these are collector's items, people. And if you can get your hand on one, whether it's through eBay, car boot sale, or someone just wants to give it away, then please do. Um, it's uh, going to be inspired, or I say inspired, probably disinspired, if indeed that is a word, uh, by the UK Prime Minister um, this week. It will be the Boris Johnson Award for not doing your job. Now, I would add the adjective uh, adverb of properly, but I think that would be inappropriate given that I think ending it with not doing your job is quite right. Um, so swiftly on to the nominations. I'm going to tear the golden envelope. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh it's a, bit of, a bit of history here, Duncan. To start with, did you know that it was 16 years ago today, May 15th, that Arsenal clinched the title and were indeed invincible? So the first nomination is Arsene Wenger for failing to win the league in the following 14 years and therefore not doing his job. Um, I would say it was harsh, but I don't think it is. Um, I don't think Arsenal fans would disagree either. Um, the second one is segue as um, referred to Jamie Carragher for failing to ask Glenn Murray for a reply to um, his question or sorry, his statement on that said interview we talked about earlier in the pod, uh, but then deciding to have a go later on Twitter. Third, and probably my favourite, is Carlos Tevez, who has been the subject of some discussion between Gary Neville and his agent, Kia Jarabshin, in the last few days, um, who famously refused to um, come on as a substitute in the Champions League for Manchester City against Bayern Munich. Duncan, uh, I think it's quite a tough choice, but you know, you, you're pretty good at um, whittling out the winner. I'm going to exempt Arsene Wenger because it wasn't for want of, of trying in this case. As a man desperately, desperately wanted to be a winner and, and more frustrated by losing football matches than just about any manager uh, I've had the honour to, to work with as a, as a journalist. Fengersan. Um, <laughs> Fengersan, indeed. And he was handicapped um, by having to... 
completely rebuild the, the squad um, and concentrate on younger players and not spend in the transfer market, etc., etc., etc. Carlos Tevez, um, yeah, very uh, strong candidate for because he really didn't do his job. He uh, decided he wasn't going to go on the pitch and and then subsequently decided he was going off to Argentina. Um, to uh, to make matters worse for Manchester City and um, uh, not the only time in his career that uh, he decided to down tools but I think given the, the week and given the discussion of the podcast so far we have to have to give this one to Jamie Carragher because um, if you object to someone's answer and you think the answer is, is so problematic when it's your TV programme and your interview just ask the question Otherwise, stay quiet. Don't wind the guy up on, on social media afterwards. Do your job. Ask the question. Let him explain why he thinks it would be unfair. Don't um, make him a target uh, for uh, Liverpool fans to go after um, when you haven't given him the opportunity to uh, to further elaborate on why he thinks that is unfair. And, and as, as I just argued, it's a perfectly logical point. If you're going to relegate teams based on completing the season, then you should only promote teams based on completing the season in the lower division as well. And that, of course, people, is a basic lesson in journalism. Always ask the question, especially when you've got the subject in front of you. Um, that's it for today's Transfer Window podcast. If you wish to continue the debate, and we know you do, and we welcome that, of course, then please, please get in touch through our social media channels which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Duncan's personal Twitter, as I'm sure you all know, especially Liverpool fans, is at Duncan Castles and I am on at Garbo SJ. We're loving keeping you up to date uh, in this time where there is not... Uh, a lot of news to be reported, but we hope that you appreciate we're doing our best to keep you guys absolutely uh, on the cusp of everything that is happening. So if you like what you hear, then please return the favour. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and as you know, our whole community will expand as a result. That's us for today's podcast on Friday. Uh, we will be back to the transfer window. And until then, until next week, we would ask you all to stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Yeah.